Hello and welcome to Fire Headlines, where we cover the hottest topics in fire service news. I'm your host, Samantha Didion, and joining me on the panel today is Chief Jeff Buchanan, Dr. Matt Hines-Aldrich, and Sarah Wood. This week is part two of our discussion on outcomes. If you haven't already, tune in to episode 43 to hear part one. In this episode, we will be discussing a few listener questions that pertain to outcomes in the fire service. The first question I have for our panel is, do you believe there's a direct impact to job satisfaction and overall department morale if firefighters could see they were, quote, moving the needle in regards to community safety and overall outcomes? Sarah, what are your thoughts? I think yes but also no. And uh, my answer is no, if the process didn't identify what the firefighters care about. Because I'm going to say something a a little probably controversial. If you sit down and you ask your firefighters, do you want to run less structure fires? Some of you are going to be surprised by that answer. But if you sit down and you're like, hey, uh, do you want to run less structure fires where somebody's injured? They're going to say yes. So if you're measuring outcomes based off of things that firefighters don't care about or necessarily aren't that worried about, but you can show them PowerPoints, you can get them in meetings, you can show them trends. Do they care about the thing that you're showing them? So if you do, if you tie it to what they're complaining about, like firefighters, I've been in the fire service about 20 years. And the one thing about us is if there's a problem, we want to solve it. And we want to feel like we helped you. But if I go to a call and you didn't need my help, Now I've like maybe gotten out of bed. I've gotten in the truck. I've gotten, you know, I put on my PPE and I've rolled up to your scene and it's a false alarm. That makes me like, oh, I just wasted my time coming to you. I've just wasted the last half hour, however long it took me to get ready, get to you, identify the false alarm, handle the system and then leave. So if you ask your firefighters like, hey, um, what are, what are your gripes? They're probably going to say things like, um, late night calls at the nursing home or uh, false alarms, or they're going to say like, I don't, uh, I don't like our injury rate. Like it's stressful to have that kind of call where somebody's injured or have like, they have like a total loss. So I do feel like outcomes, especially when you tell people what's happening, if they're tied directly to what the firefighters and the personnel care about, I hundred percent feel, I 100% know that it does lead to better job satisfaction. But if you don't, they're not really going to care about it. And you're going to sit there wondering, like, I did all this research. I did all this like analysis on outcomes and nobody really cares at all. You're going to be sitting there wondering what happened. Yeah, but on. And, and the, the part that really uh, I, I had a bit of a chuckle when I saw this, I was like, well, um, you know, if you do analysis wrong, you can absolutely make people uh, miserable. And so, uh, um, in fact, I keep going back to my uh, my time in Atlanta. It was, I had lots of great and, and lots of challenging experiences there. But one of them, when I first got there, I was kind of sort of um, tasked with uh, sort of taking on and, and reviving and, and updating a program we had called AFR Stat, which is uh, Atlanta Fire Rescue Stat, which is kind of like CompStat from the policing world. But and they had been doing it for a really long time. And they've been at that point, they had been doing it for I think like eight years or more. 
So, but the problem is, is when I got there, I kind of sp sat down with some of the company officers, some of the battalion chiefs, and and just kind of understand, you know, their thoughts on it. And one person's response still to this day cracks me up. Uh, he said, oh, great. We're going to have a new biweekly beating program. I chuckled, but then I was like, wait, is that what it's really not, like referred to as? He said, because uh, this was something that was done, you know, every every two weeks. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, well known as the biweekly beatings. Uh, we go there and uh, get yelled at for our response times and our turnout times and our travel times. And so the, the person went on to say that actually got so bad that the battalion chiefs who were scheduled to be on duty on that Tuesday morning uh, would sometimes take their own vacation time to avoid having to uh, to go to this session. At, at that point, it had become so toxic that we had to completely change the mentality of it. And we actually completely like turned it into a really effective program. But um, I do honestly think that the evaluation of pro programs and, and like measures like this can, uh, to Sarah's point, I do think it can be really positive if you're focused on the right things, and if you're really, you know, sensitive to the the unintended consequences, unintended benefits of some of, of these programs, it can become very adversarial and can be very negative. In fact, it can, in some cases, if done poorly, do more harm than good. So it's definitely a double-edged sword. That said, though, I do think it is valuable and 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 something that can and will and should be done effectively, you know, can really can have an impact on the satisfaction of the firefighters and the company officers, the folks riding backwards, and all the other parts of the organization as well. Let's talk a bit about what success looks like. What do you guys think is the most practical or realistic way to measure that? We hear a lot about response times being used as a measure of success. So Jeff, what do you think? It's impractical if you're going to only use response times. It's it's incredibly impractical because there's so so very few municipalities that can that can achieve such a, a goal, and 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 there is such a lack of evidence that you can correlate to response times and overall what the successful outcomes are. That I think it just leaves what I'll describe as an incomplete. Yet we look at response times as the sole measure. You know, specifically when you talk about the the breakup of response times, the biggest piece, the travel time, is really where many agencies, I think, spend too much time, and that requires. And what that means is that they spend time adding stations and personnel, dropping more people adding density. And I'm not saying that that's a, that's a mistake. There's many instances when adding more people is, is surely uh, something that you could do and maybe should do. But the reality is, in many instances, it's, it's unrealistic for a number of different reasons, financial being, being one of them. It could be access to good candidates. It could be a number of things. Yet, we don't take what's lower hanging fruit and challenge and enhance or improve those areas. For example, on the call processing time, a lot of times the calls will go into a neighboring, uh, a public safety answering point is what's a PSAP or an emergency call center. And a lot of times fire departments get that call secondarily because it goes into a primary PSAP, which is a police public safety answering point, and then that information gets shipped back to the fire department. If you don't have a, a free flowing ability with information, that could that could cause a, a disruption in, in your overall response times if you don't get the call. Um, 
the arrangement of the units inside of your fire station. For example, if you're coming out of your fire station and let's say you have a four or a five base station and the first rig is like, let's say for a battalion chief and the busiest unit is a rescue that's at the far bay, that could take you 15 or 20 seconds to walk across that bay. And changing that arrangement could make a difference. Across the country, when you look at EMS calls versus fire calls, there's a huge discrepancy of turnout times. Generally speaking, medical calls are lower. After midnight, you can close your eyes and put a finger on a map and you can look at response times or turnout times specifically that are lower after midnight. And so it is in, I think, identifying some things. I think this goes back to some of the points that Sarah made. You know, what, what can we control and what can't we control? We can't control the distance from A to Z. We can't control unless we had a station or for our fire personnel. However, we can change signalization strategy. Are you using a GPS or an infrared? GPS is superior because of the technological impediments to infrared. And, and, and what I'm talking about there is changing when emergency apparatus approach an intersection, you'll see that the light changes green. The old technology is infrared. The new technology is cloud-based and GPS. And those are ways you can move traffic flow. You can work with your public works to have wider streets, different, I mean, there's different things that you can do. You can work with your local transportation department and you can look at opportunities there. And I'm, I guess I'm getting in a little bit of, of a rabbit hole, but my, my point where I was going is just focusing on the things that you can change. And I do think in the fire service, we get laser focused on things that we can't change or might not make the biggest difference. And, and, and I think that that's a, a piece of this puzzle too, and just gaining a better understanding of really what we're, we're getting after. And this really, I think, kind of sews together points that both Samantha and Matt were making is having our arms around where we're going. And I think this gets into some of the questions also, and, and maybe I'm, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here, is why are we doing the things that we're doing? Right. And, and that's an important piece is to understand that. Yeah, Jeff, I think you are right on the money. Absolutely. And so for me, when we talk about outcomes, success to me, like as somebody who's like tried to educate people, as somebody who's like carrying this flag for CRR, whenever we're having a discussion about CRR, success to me is do people understand the process? Can they identify the problem? Like what is it that they're even trying to do and why it's bad? And then are they sitting down and thoughtfully thinking about tactics? Are they thinking about like, oh, we can't just make people drive faster. Like we can't, we can't do that. Like exactly what you're talking about, Jeff, like we need a new station here, or we need a traffic signaling device, or we need a different door design. One that's like the bifold doors that come out faster. You know, they're thinking about all of those different tactics, identifying which ones we can control and then putting together that plan of action. And then the last piece is tracking what changed. Like, was the problem improved that we identified? And if you spend a lot of thoughtful time identifying the problem itself and the tactics you're going to use, outcomes are going to be a lot easier because you will have already known in your head how you want that problem to change. Yeah, and uh, great point, Sarah. One of the uh, um, one of the questions that I, I bring up with this is um, there are certainly and. and 
and Jeff already alluded to this earlier, that there are some departments that are that are really embracing commuter risk reduction. They're taking this mindset. Obviously, the, this the person who wrote this question in is is sort of starting to th- is definitely thinking like that. Problem is, is what about all the other departments? What about all the ones who they don't like? They're like, why would we bother to even can evaluate like uh, traffic signal preemption? Like, uh, uh, it's, it's just, I think that's one of the things that I've really focused on quite a bit uh, in the past couple of years is it's very easy to to take this mentality that if we just kind of focus on and support and, you know, in a sense, lift up the the leading departments who are really doing what we think, you know, what we might think of as this kind of mindset change in terms of thinking about service delivery in, in, in non-traditional ways and and being very thoughtful. Again, there's probably a whole lot of people like, wait, you know, the type of door in your fire station um, has an impact on your response times. It absolutely does. And actually, it, I come back to a, a quote when I was sort of learning about the fire uh, fire department accreditation model. But the quote was, and I'm going to uh, use a generic thing. So another insurance advisor organization, whose name I won't use, that the quote was basically that they measure how many toys you have accreditation measures how well you play with those toys and then the the person insightfully noted nobody measures what whether any of it makes a darn bit of difference that quote for the you know the past 10 years has been in the back of my head i've spent a lot of time thinking about you know what if that is in fact uh, accurate which i i tend to uh, agree then why is that why don't we like what what becomes the the tide that rises all boats then how do we actually encourage and incentivize those communities and those fire departments who are not embracing kind of perhaps more modern or more innovative or more service oriented improvements? How do we actually encourage them to um, to start, you know, start to think like this and start kind of reevaluating their org- own organization, their own programs and their own service delivery? And so, and fr- frankly, that's really m- one of the things that drew me to my current role. Uh, so I, th- I think I may have mentioned in the previous uh, podcast. So I work for an uh, American Association of Insurance Services. And it was, so we're an insurance advisor organization, as I, I think I mentioned. We're a not-for-profit organization. But one of the many roles that an, an insurance advisor organization does is evaluating fire protection. And so we're all probably familiar with one of the other entities in this space. But uh, basically, when I got here, it was sort of presented we have an opportunity to reimagine what evaluating public fire protection looks like. And there was sort of a, in a sense, carte blanche to say, what actually matters in, in fire protection? And the insurance industry is starting to start asking those questions and they're starting to uh, ask them in more you know, thoughtful and more nuanced ways because what they're seeing is the, the traditional ways we've measured whether a department is any good or not that largely focus on response metrics, that th- those don't tend to correlate with economic losses, that don't tend to correlate with claims, or, or at least there's not a direct correlation as you would expect. And so the insurance industry are starting to, um, to how do we do this? And so we're working on a new program we call, have called FLAMES, which stands for Fire Loss and, and Mitigation Evaluation Score. And again, I don't want to get into a big sales pitch, but what I do want to kind of highlight is that we are really trying to figure out a way of evaluating fire protection in communities, which 
of which, um, you know, emergency response is still, you know, is, is an important part of that. It's always going to be a part of that. If you really talk to like even the most diehard CRR, you know, advocates, of course, they're going to say that we still have to, uh, you know, when someone has an emergency, we still have to get out, out the door and, and, you know, make their whatever their bad situation is better. But we're one of the things we're doing and which is really, in a sense, novel, uh, and we're going to be sharing more about this at this Division 2020 conference uh, coming up and then later at the CRR Leadership Conference, is we're developing a way of evaluating whether communities are, are doing a good job with public fire protection, which includes and really, in a sense, prioritizes community risk reduction. And the and it's right in the name, the ME in FLAME stands for Mitigation Evaluation. We are attempting um, to develop a new way, a new mousetrap, if you will, that really prioritizes and, and in a sense uh, is going to effectively score communities on whether they're doing a good job in both community risk reduction and fire suppression and fire operations. And so that's one of the things we're doing. We're trying to change uh, a very, like a very long legacy of really folk that we've historically have focused on, on response time metrics. And again, those are, they're going to always be a part of how we evaluate whether fire departments are effective, but we're trying to develop a new way. And I'm really, I'm really excited about this. With that, I'll pass it back uh, to Jeff. Thanks, Matt. I love, I love all those points. I, I just think that, you know, this is such a, a needed conversation, and I, I, I know exactly what we're talking about. Having gone through that evaluation process with a couple of different organizations, and it does reward—I don't want to say solely, but primarily—the amount of toys that you do have. First of all, there is a—it's an unfair assessment for for many different reasons, and it really comes down to, you know, it does it does dive into the science. Uh, you know, is there a causal relationship to that amount of apparatus or whatever it is and and whatever outcome it is that you're tying to, you know, and, and simply put, is it effective? And, and we, you know, no, we have to take the time to evaluate that and research that first in order to see if that is the mechanism that that drives that result. And, and it hasn't been done in I definitely have a couple theories on that, and maybe that's a different episode. But you know, just to toss it out there broadly, and it 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 may seem like it's not involved, but it is. Economics are involved here. There's certainly economics involved here, and there's vested interests that's that's here. And um, I, I just don't think any of us can deny the amount of influence that economics places in these types of arenas. Now, we're never going to get away from it. It's fool's gold. It's naive to think that economics aren't going to play a role in, in decision-making. Uh, it's, it, it's clear. There's a, I mean, it's a direct relationship. But we, we, we also have to, I think, appropriately weigh the influence as we're going through the exploration and uh, in a situation like this. So I really, I really like those points that you brought up, Matt. I'm with you hundred percent. The final question I have is what is the best feedback loop or mechanism for the firefighters going on the calls to then see the overall result? Matt, what comes to mind for you? Great question. In fact, I'll go back to AFR stat. Another key learning I had when I first um, got there and first took over the AFR stat was from another battalion chief who kind of, again, had a 
relatively negative view of the way it had been done in the past. But he also insightfully said, it's like, he's like, I get it. We have skeletons in our closet. Operations, there are things we definitely need to improve. There's definitely service delivery uh, improve enhancements we can make, and we should be doing those. And we should be talking about those. But he then went on to say, is like, but why is it only operations that we all that we look at? He's like, yeah, certainly we got skeletons in our closet. But he's like, so does everyone else around here. He joked. He said, you know, I would really like to see the payroll manager up there with with AFR stat scorecards uh, defending how many payroll errors occurred in the past quarter. He's like, I'm willing to be account accountable for uh, what my operations folks have done, and and really, to, you know, to talk about how we're trying to improve service delivery. But he said, the the thing that really would change our organization and make this actually effective is actually thinking about data and stats beyond operations. And, and so it's not just about response times and turnout times, but everything else in the organization. And so and that's what we did is we actually created uh, performance metrics and we worked with all the, the company officers and, the, and the, the other managers across the entire organization, everything from hiring and, and recruitment to HR functions and inspections, even, uh, and this is definitely a story for another day, but even our, uh, our chaplain had performance measures. But again, the whole idea was to identify opportunities to improve the entire organization. And that is what actually I, I find that uh, uh, gets a lot of the operations folks interested is, is seeing the problems and the frustrations that they have being fixed and or if nothing else being exposed. And so that way, it's not just that they're the kind of the center of attention or the center of kind of um, of focus, but that they're a key part of a wider uh, organizational focus on improvement. Matt, I love that you talk about Atlanta because my experience is actually on the opposite spectrum. And I spent most of my time, like the last 20 years in very small rural volunteer and combination departments um, who are considerably less people in them. And one of, even at that level of scale, what I would say is there's a communication problem all the way down the line. Like even in meetings where the chief and the assistant chief were talking about programs with like the captain, that information never made it all the way down because the people who are in the room are officer level and above. And just saying like holding space to say, hey, everybody needs to hear this message. Like, do they have a mechanism at all for receiving information? Like, are you sending out a newsletter? Are you having a 15 minute meeting or are you doing anything as a total group? And I will say where I did have experience of this kind of information getting all the way down the line uh, is not even with the fire service. It's with a tech company that I worked for for a while named My Sidewalk, where every Friday we would have demos and everybody got the same message and they were presented with, hey, this is a client that we helped. This is the outcome from that client. Here's kind of like a white paper. Here's this new feature we built. Here's why it matters. And everybody was seeing how all of their work fit together into a larger picture. And I have, I have not, I'm not saying nobody in the fire service does it. I'm saying I have not seen a fire department do a really good all hands meeting to tell them these important messages. And maybe it is happening. If, if you're a listener and that's happening for you, I want you to share it and, and show like how you're able to get all of that stuff down. Because right now I just don't see communication all the way down to the boots on the ground. And they're the ones that we need hearing it the most. I think that is a great point to end on. 
And like Sarah just said, if you have a useful method for getting communication all the way down the line, then share it with us at fireheadlines at wfca.com. Thank you to our panel for joining us today, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you'd like to get in contact with one of our guest panelists, check out the show notes for this episode. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. We'll see you back here next week for more Fire Headlines.